So the last two times I have uh, been the one speaking, I've spoken on how the church is to be the example of love, how the church is to be the example of discipline. Uh, and this morning I, I would like to kind of end this, this thought of the church being the example of various characteristics with prayer. Uh, church being the example of prayer. Now certainly I think you could probably do a lot more lessons on the church being the example of something. I'm not trying to say these are the only three things the church needs to be an example of, but there's three that I was thinking about and wanted to do lessons on. Um, with that said, I think the first passage we'll spend time looking at is in Mark chapter 1, if you want to go ahead and just be turned there. Um, we're only going to read one verse, so I'm going to spend a whole lot of time there. But Church, the example of prayer, um, I think this is probably in my estimation at least, the quality or the thing that most Christians see the most need for in their life is prayer. I feel like I meet a lot of people that say, I need to be praying. And I think it's also the thing that we always say we need to be doing more of. We always kind of admit that we don't pray like we should, and I'm guilty as anybody in that. Uh, so I thought it might be helpful to look in, in, this, uh, in this lesson. I want to look at maybe... Jesus's model of prayer, and that being a why we should pray. Um, bottom line is that Jesus did it. Uh, I want to look at a little bit of how we should pray, you know, the types of prayers that we should have, why we should be praying, the things that maybe we should be praying about. But then ultimately, I kind of want to just at the end of the lesson address a couple things, um, and that is how do we learn to be the example in prayer? And that's maybe some um, ideas or some things that we can put into place in our lives just kind of generally um, that might help us be an example in prayer. Uh, and so that's kind of the model that this lesson is going to take. But with that said, there's one guy I appreciate a whole lot um, who always starts his lessons by praying. And I thought if there's ever a time to do that, this lesson might be the time to do that. So I would like to just kind of start with a prayer before we dive into the lesson, if you guys don't mind bowing with me. Lord God, um, we, we thank you for the avenue of prayer that we have. At this time, we're going to be talking about that. Um, God, help make this, this lesson useful for us. Help us to see our need for prayer. And for those of us who are doing a good job with prayer, you know that, Lord, you have relationship with them, and I'm thankful for those people that are doing that, and continue to help them seek you out in that relationship. But for those of us who are not doing a good job with this, that we're not very good examples of prayer, um, help us kind of rededicate ourselves to this, help us not to overlook it, and um, help us to understand that uh, at the end of it all, uh, prayer is really our most um, intimate form of communication. Uh, with you that we have, and so we don't need to overlook that. Um, help us all to be a prayerful people that um, when we look at examples of prayer that we don't look at them <coughs> hypocritically, but we we see them and we understand why they're useful for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so in Mark chapter 1, um, in verse 35, the first question we kind of need to ask is why should we pray? And I feel like probably most of us in this room um, understand maybe one or some answers to that question. And I'm just going to kind of follow my reasoning in this, and it's a very simple one per usual. 
Um, and, and typically with these lessons, I've been looking at it this way. The church is the example of blank. And so I look at Jesus first as a, giving us the model. And then I go to the church in the first century, proving that model and then make application for us. And that's really what I want to do again this morning. So with that, Jesus, Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says, Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed, being Jesus, and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. I think pretty much most of the points that I would want to make in this lesson could be centered on this one verse. Um, but I, I pointed this out. Why should we pray? Because Jesus did, and Jesus made it a priority to pray. Um, you know, particularly there was moments in Jesus' ministry where he was absolutely swamped. Um, we would look at that and say he was doing 40 plus hours a week, right? We would look at our lives and kind of equate it that way. And he was doing that. I mean, he was barely sleeping. He didn't ha even have the benefit of a home to go to at night. He was kind of a, a vagabond in a way, just kind of traveling and taking the, the places people would give him, places that were comfortable to stay. But Jesus made it a point, even in the chaos uh, of his life at that time, to get up early and pray. And so I think that's one thing. We say, why should we pray? Well, I think it's because Jesus made it a priority to. Um, he went out of his way to do it. Uh, and so I think if we just look, if nothing else, at that one verse, and there's other verses that say the same sort of thing. Jesus got up early, and he went to a mountain, or he stayed up late and went to the mountain, the desolate place, and prayed. Uh, another thing is, so he does that in the midst of his work. In the chaos of his day, Jesus made time, because it was a priority, he made time to pray. Uh, if you wanted to, Mark chapter 14, just a couple verses here, it's a passage we maybe are even more familiar with. And Mark chapter 14, verse 35, this is Jesus in the garden uh, in Gethsemane. Verse 35 says, And going a little further out, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Skipping down to verse 39. And again, he went and prayed, saying the same words. And so we, we often look at this and we focus on the prayer of Jesus and what he was asking for and how the disciples didn't really do what they were supposed to in following him in that model of prayer. But again, I would say that just as Jesus in the midst of the, the work, the, the burden and the chaos of his life and his ministry in Mark chapter 1, even when things were troubling, or you might even say in his persecution, kind of in the midst of that happening, Jesus made time to pray. And so not only is he praying in his work, his day-to-day -day making time to pray, he makes time to pray when things are going south, when things are getting bad. He's making time to pray. Um, and the last quick example that I would turn to um, is Jesus showed that it was a priority to him in the midst of his work when things are bad, um, when they're troubling. And then also, to, he showed that was a priority when he was around other people. He wanted to help them by praying. Um, we could turn to a couple examples of this. One I wrote down was in John chapter 11. Um, John chapter 11. And I'll just read verses 41 and 42. Um, well, beginning in verse 40, actually. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. All right, and so this is obviously in the, the context of, of Lazarus having died. 
And um, that, that affected Jesus emotionally. I mean, he was really upset to kind of see this scene unfold and the weeping and the death. And, the, and it says that Jesus, even so, um, Jesus had been upset about this. But then he goes and he says, as he speaks, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I think there's an incl- inclination or implication, sorry, that Jesus had prayed about this, that he had communicated to God about this. But then look at what he specifically says. Um, Father, I think that you've heard me, verse 42. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe you have sent me. So there's some sense in which in this moment, because he references a time he talked to God about this and that God heard him, it was encouraging or helpful to the people around him to hear that kind of exchange happen. Uh, And I just think that's kind of an interesting insight that Jesus would draw people's attention to his communication with God um, as an effort to help them. Um, And I think there's more verses we could go to with this idea, Um, but Jesus used prayer even to help other people around him. He used his prayers to encourage other people. and so just, those are just quick three examples um, that we see Jesus making it a priority in his life to pray. He gets up early in the chaos of his life to go pray. Even when things are going south, when things are getting really hard for him on earth, he's making time to pray. And then, even for the benefit of the people around him, and you can imagine how many people he encounters, he's using prayer kind of as an opportunity to relate to people and help them, uh, and specifically in this instance, in their belief. And so, I think, just in those three examples, we see that Jesus, to Jesus, prayer was absolutely important. Which I think, in a way, is kind of odd, right? Because he's God, he's one with the Father, yet he's still making all this time to pray. And so I don't always wrap my head around how that worked and all those things. But to say that Jesus, the Son of God, one with God, needed to pray and made time to pray in the chaos of his life and in the trouble and because of people around him, how much more so do we need to be praying? Uh, So I think the church really kind of understood this early on. I think the first century church uh, stood and God took the time to point them out as a model to us in a lot of ways. Um, And they modeled themselves after Jesus in this. I mean, if it's important to Jesus, you can imagine the church saying, well, it must be important to us, right? Um, And so, look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, and we'll read just verse 4 there. This is in the context of the seven men being chosen uh, by the Christians there to serve the widows that they felt were not being taken care of in the daily distribution. But in verse 4 it says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And of course, that is um, the apostles speaking of what they're going to do. Um, and the reason that these seven men were appointed, if we recall, was because the apostles were just like, this is, this is not how we're going to use all of our time. We need someone else to take care of this. But I think that part right there is really interesting. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Um, I think the, the apostles here kind of speaking as a group say that they're going to do this. And so in the middle of kind of, we might say, this work, right? They're trying to preach the gospel, and they probably have hectic days. 
And this church is having some things that they're trying to kind of work out. They say, we're going to take the time to pray about stuff, right? In verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer. That's going to be a mission of ours, is to be devoted to prayer. We're going to give ourselves to that time and to that effort. Um, you know, and it's interesting to me that that kind of concept is used because they, what they said they didn't want to devote themselves to was kind of sorting through these issues. They say, we don't have the time to kind of sort through these things. That's their preface. But one of the two things they say they do have time for is the ministry of the word and to devote ourselves to prayer. And I think that shows the import of that to them. And really, I think would we see the church model that kind of mentality, not just the apostles, and we're going to look at more verses of how they model that mentality. Um, but so even in work, even when things are, you're doing your work, you can't just have the ministry of the word. You have to be devoted to prayer as well, even for the apostles. And so we see that again. Again, in the midst of trouble or persecution like Jesus, maybe even in Acts chapter 12, we see the church embody this mentality of prioritizing prayer, even when things get hard. Acts chapter 12, verse 5 reads, Peter was kept, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So times are getting hard. Um, in this chapter, uh, James killed, Peter's imprisoned. Things seem to be going kind of south. I mean, it's getting really tough. This is getting really real, right? People they knew were being hurt by what was going on. But it says in that moment, they define themselves, or God takes the time to say that they were divine, defined by this prayer. Earnest prayer for Peter was made to God by the church. I think they, the church took to heart maybe the model of Jesus in this. I can imagine them recounting the story of Jesus in the garden. He was being persecuted. Times were getting hard and he prayed to God and he told the disciples to pray to God. And so I can see the church saying, times are getting hard again. Let's do what Jesus did. Pray to God. I don't know if that's exactly how they reasoned through it, but you can see it, right? You can see them replicating the model of Jesus in that. Um, and the last thing here, again, is to help others around them. If you flip back a little bit in Acts to chapter 2, this is a, more of an implication, I believe, and I think it's a fair one to make. Um, kind of a conclusion to come to. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, after this, this message by Peter is uh, relayed in this chapter that probably we're pretty familiar with, the last paragraph of the chapter kind of describes for us what the church was doing, um, how they respond to kind of this gospel that Peter preaches to them, and kind of how it changes them and how they act. And the very first verse there, verse 42, says, "...they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship." to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The way I kind of think about this is these things are necessary for an individual to kind of have in their life if they're going to be pursuing God. Is You need these things. You need to be devoted to teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, right? But I also kind of think of it in the portrait of this chapter is you can't get away from them helping each other in this chapter, I mean, in this paragraph here. Um, it continues to say, All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together 
and had all things in common. Certainly, we talk about that a lot of times being stuff. They shared their stuff. And I think maybe some of the things they had in common were this fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayers and the taking in the teaching. And so what I want to say in this is it seems like these prayers are part of this whole unity edifying, uh, uh, what's the word, edifying mentality that they have here. Um, And so I would say that the prayers in this, just as Jesus in John 11 maybe prayed and referenced his time communicating with God to try to encourage and help the belief of people around him, I see maybe the church in Acts 2 is using a prayer as kind of this, this model of unity and to encourage one another. And so again, I think the first, the first century church here proves that they, they looked at Jesus as maybe a model of his prayer life, and they tried to replicate that in some form or fashion. Um, and so with, with these just three examples of Jesus and three examples of the church kind of loosely connecting here, um, I kind of wanted to ask this question. So since we see the church is a group of people who try to prioritize prayer just like Jesus, is that something that we're doing here? Um, I don't know if there's a, a yes or no answer to that. It's kind of a, uh, a question we need to address individually, inwardly. And maybe from your perspective, evaluate kind of as a group, are we prioritizing prayer the way we need to? I think we do a good job about that. I'm not trying to get on to us. Um, I definitely think there's ways we could do better. Um, and I'm not even sure all the ways we could implement things to help us with that. But I'm sure there's room to grow. There always is, right? And so I, I want to use this lesson to kind of come back to that always. Yeah, we see that Jesus does it. We see that the first century church prays. But is that something that we're modeling ourselves after here? Um, but first, before we can figure out how we model ourselves after this, um, we, it's helpful to kind of remind ourselves that the way that prayer is used. Uh, at least for me it is. Um, certainly we see a few examples in this, just when things get chaotic, it's okay to pray, right? Make time to pray. When things are troubling and hard and things seem to be going bad, that's a time to pray. Um, when you're around other people that could use the encouragement or the benefit of prayer, use it. Um, but even more specifically, um, and I appreciate James reading this earlier, I think Matthew chapter 6, the verses that we read, give us a lot of insight into times and how and when to pray um, and reasons to pray. So if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to move kind of quickly through this because it's not my intention to have the mass of this le- this lesson be based here, even though... When I look at my outline, most of it looks like it is. But it's just because there's a lot of examples. So I want to run through them quickly. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 13 is what James read for us. Look at verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, and that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. To me, it looks like prayer can be used to cultivate a relationship with God. In fact, he seems to be saying, don't be doing it just to be seen by other people, but be doing it to talk to God, to communicate with God. If you need to close the door to make that happen and get your priorities straight, that seems to be like, close the door, right? Don't let other people see this happening. It's between you and God. So I think that's a way we can use prayer, right? Kind of a basic way is to just cultivate that relationship. Learn to talk. Learn to be in a quiet place and listen. 
Um, another example is in verse 9, moving down a little bit. It says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's just one little snippet of this kind of, we might reference as the model prayer, however we want to phrase this. The point is, there's prayer can be used, as this part demonstrates, just simply as a time to give God glory, to praise Him for whatever characteristic that you're thinking about at that moment. Um, in this moment, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, this idea of being set apart, being revered. But we could praise him for all kinds of qualities that he that he demonstrates and he perfects in and of himself. So prayer, to me, could be to cultivate your relationship with God, could be just to praise him for something. Verse 11, it could be just to ask for something. Give us this day our daily bread. Right? You can even go to verse 12, forgive us our debts. Right? I mean, you can make requests of God. Prayer is an avenue for that. Um, there's a bunch of other verses that elaborate on that. But verse 12 would also seem to indicate to ask for forgiveness, right? Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. There's some sort of forgiveness that can be requested in prayer, right? You can ask for that. Verse 13, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? Again, to overcome adversity. You can ask, hey, God, there's, there's this trouble kind of around the corner. There's, there's temptation heading my way. Help me overcome that, right? And that's kind of what I feel is the essence of verse 13. So that's just kind of a quick reminder, maybe a few purposes that we can use prayer for. Uh, simply to develop a relationship with God, to praise God, to voice our requests, to ask for forgiveness specifically, to overcome adversity. And the last one I think that's not in this text, but is in John chapter 17. I think the way that John 17 is used there's certainly a lot that we can draw out of it. But I walk away from reading that chapter as Jesus prays to God, and it's the longest prayer that we have recorded from Jesus. Um, Jesus speaks to God, and a lot of his prayer centers around who we'd end up calling the apostles, the disciples kind of in a more general sense. But I kind of walk away from this prayer thinking that Jesus is praying for God's purposes. He's praying that His will be done, kind of that concept. But also throughout this is this sense of unity, right? He's praying all throughout this that the apostles would be one and that they would be devoted to one purpose is kind of the concept. And so what I got out of that was not only are we cultivating a relationship with God in prayer, but we can even try to cultivate unity within God's purposes, you know, sometimes we, uh, we all are trying to serve God, but we're not necessarily on the same page. We're not united, right? But I think Jesus shows us that even in serving God, we can be praying for unity in that. Like, help us to be unified in that service. And really, that's what I see kind of as a big theme of this prayer. Um, so those are just a few examples of, of purposes prayer can serve in our lives. Um, and I think... We see the church model this. Again, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, um, we see the, the church cultivating a relationship with God through prayer. Um, if you want to turn to Acts 16, I want to look at this verse quickly. Acts 16, verse 25 reads, 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I think that's interesting because it's, again, an instance where things are kind of looking down, kind of looking tough. Um, but it says that Paul and Silas were praying and singing to God. And I get this idea that the singing has got to be praised. I mean, there's probably requests and doubts. You know, some songs we have express fears, but they always are in a context of trust, right? And so I imagine that these prayers probably express some of those things and ultimately probably express praise for who God is as well. Um. In Acts chapter 1, when the uh, disciples are gathered together and they're trying to figure out who's going to replace Judas as one of the, the, the new twelve, um, it says in verse 24, beginning, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Um, that's asking for something, right? It's requesting something of God. And so again, we see the church modeling what Jesus had taught. Requests can be made of God. Um, Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8, we see prayers of forgiveness. Acts chapter 7, verse 6, I'll just read this one really quickly. This is Stephen. As he's dying, he's being killed by people who are... Uh, lashing out against him. He says, falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. You know, I think it's appropriate to pray for forgiveness, just as Matthew 6 says, and for me, right? Forgive us our debt. Forgive me my debt. But Stephen even says, it's okay to pray for, for, for the forgiveness of someone else, right? Hold this not against them. More or less, that's saying, forgive them of this, Right? Um, so I think, again, we see it modeled here. Acts chapter 8, verse 22, we see the same uh, request being made uh, of forgiveness. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And again, that is of um, Simon when Peter arrives on the scene. And so we see forgiveness being requested by the church Acts chapter 4, we won't read these verses, but to overcome adversity in Acts chapter 4, it's actually when they're released from, uh, Peter and John are released from before the council. The, the verse says in verse 29, I'll just read it to you. It says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Again, they're praying not to take it away, but to overcome, to overcome the challenges. Uh, and then I have a couple verses here listed, and I'll read them quickly. Um, you can turn there if you want to Acts 1, but I'll just read it quickly. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So, as they're trying to figure out who's going to replace Judas, there's a unity in prayer being developed. They're sharing in that. They're devoting uh, with each other to prayer for this one single thing. Acts chapter 21 relates a very similar concept. Acts chapter 21, verse 5. 
When our days were then ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. All right, so as Paul's kind of separating from the people that he knows, as he's kind of going to his imminent doom, we have this moment in verse 5 where it says that they prayed, um, accompanying us until we were outside the city and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Again, I think it's, they were close, and this moment of prayer was probably for requests or praise. And I mean, we can imagine pray, prayer in this moment, how that might look kind of fear and desperation and uh, sadness. But you can also see a unity in that. They all kneeled, and they all said farewell, and they had this prayer time. And so I think prayer, we see the church modeling this, developing unity in prayer. Uh, so with all that to say, why should we pray? Jesus did it, and he illustrated that he did it even in the middle of his work, even when things were getting tough, even for the benefit of people around him. We see the church mimicking that. We just looked at several examples of what prayer can be used for. Cultivating relationship with God, praising God, asking for things, asking for forgiveness, overcoming adversity, cultivating unity. Uh, I'm sure we could come up with more if we took the time. I say all this to say, yes, we need to be praying. Yes, there's ways which we can use prayer. Um, But how do we learn to be an example of prayer? Um, I think a simple answer would be, we'll just start doing this stuff, right? And I think that's more or less what my answer is. But I have kind of three specific ways we can do that. I think the first thing is we actually have to believe in prayer. To be a model of prayer, you actually have to believe it's something, right? Um, I I know that's really simple. Um, Again, John 11, Jesus did. He said, I've spoken to you and you've heard me. And he was giving thanks to God for that. Um, but the church needs to, and and there's even instruction to believe in prayer. Um, look at James, James chapter one. And I think this is kind of the application for us. We probably knew that Jesus prayed, right? And we probably knew ways in which we could use prayer. Um, but maybe the challenge for me sometimes is this stuff is like implementing it. I really need to believe in prayer. Um, James chapter one. One quick verse we'll look at. James chapter 1 and verse 5 reads, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. All right? So the implication is there. You need something. Well, ask God. Why would I ask God? Because you believe he's going to give it to you. All right? Um, at the very end of James, in James chapter 5, we see a similar thing. Is anyone among you sick? Okay, well, there is. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Right? Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I think this is teaching us that we need to believe in the power of a prayer especially particularly from those who are righteous but those who believe that it works right and so the implication here to me is that we need to believe in prayer 
what good is it if I pray and I don't actually expect that it's producing anything, it's providing anything, or that it's even heard, right? It's kind of a useless thing to pursue if you know that what you're pursuing isn't real, right? Like, uh, I could think of a lot of things in my life that I found out weren't real after being a kid, but if I still pursued them wholeheartedly, it'd be kind of a foolish thing for me to do, right? And so, for prayer, I think, comes with hand-in-hand is belief. The next thing for us to implement if we're going to be an example of prayer is not only belief in prayer, but it's the in, be intentional about prayer. And I have a really hard time with this one. Um, and it, you can even say that this is really a manifestation of believing in prayer. Why would you be intentional of prayer if you don't really believe in prayer? And I think that's true. Um, but I think sometimes we believe in prayer, but we're not intentional about prayer. We kind of do it haphazardly, right? We kind of do it organically. I want to pray when it comes to mind in the need of the moment, and that's good. But I think Jesus shows us that you also need to have intentional prayer. Um, Mark chapter 1, he got up early, went to the top of the mountain before anyone else was up intentionally to pray. But we also have response of need of the moment. We looked at how um, Jesus in Mark 14 was really kind of scared of what was about to happen to him. And so in the need of the moment, he prayed. And so, but I think Jesus teaches us we also need to be intentional. And I would say the church um, needs to be intentional about prayer. It's something that we have to set time aside to do, um, just as Jesus did that. Um, I mean, at the end of James, he says you need to be intentional about prayer. If there's someone sick, You need to have prayer for them, right? Um, And there's a lot of ways we could probably think of trying to model that. Um, But if we're going to be an example of prayer, we have to believe in prayer, and we actually have to make time for prayer. And I have a hard time with that one, and I'm probably not alone in that. Um, The third thing is we need to be fervent in prayer. So it's not enough to just believe in prayer. It's not enough to just have an intention, you know, make some intention to pray and have those times set aside. But really, Scripture tells us we need to be fervent or ongoing in prayer. It's not something that we intend, and that's the only time we ever pray. It needs to be part of kind of who we are. And I think verses that lend itself to this idea, of course, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we reference that one simply because it's super short and it says pray without ceasing, right? Kind of in a sequence of things, verse 17 says pray without ceasing. And I think that's good. We do need to be praying without ceasing, but I think it lends itself to this idea of it's part of who we are, and so within us we're doing this. Um, And that's how we can do it without ceasing, right? uh, Colossians chapter 4, it's the last passage we'll we'll look at. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. If I believe in prayer, I'll be intentional in prayer. And as Colossians 4 instructs me, I'll be fervent in prayer. And I like this verse because not does it just say, you know, continue steadfastly in prayer, but I like what comes after it, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Um, I think of, whenever I think of kind of this concept of being watchful, I always think of like centuries, like back in the day when you'd have towers and walls to guard cities and things. I think I always come up with that imagery. A century 
his one job was really to be watchful. Right? He would stand on guard and keep watch. So when I think about prayer, I think it's really interesting that that kind of idea is evoked with this be watchful in it. Um, that I'm kind of looking out through the dangers and troubles or whatever in life through prayer. I think that kind of gives me a different way of thinking about it, that I'm steadfastly praying, and by that I'm kind of keeping watch. Uh, I just think that's an interesting concept. So the church is to be the example of prayer because Jesus was. And how we can implement that is by actually believing prayer works, by being intentional about prayer, setting aside a time when it's not convenient, all the time. And then being fervent in prayer. Being watchful in prayer. Um, those are just kind of three super basic concepts. And certainly each one of those leaves room for you to figure out how to apply that in your life. For your schedule, for your life, for your troubles. But those are, I think, three ways that if we can focus on those three things, then we will become a model of prayer in our own life. And that ultimately as a collection of people, as the church we might say, we would be the model of prayer. That we, somebody could look at this group and be like, look, they're, they're prayerful people. They look like Jesus looked in that way. And that's really what we're hoping for is we're to model Jesus in that. I 